Hey everybody, Yislike here. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we start the episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by A Thousand Dreams, a developing adult liberal arts curriculum that celebrates transgression in most of its forms. Currently, the curriculum is comprised of a daily blog, four weekly podcasts, weekly multimedia lectures, a book vlog, lots of extra content on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, and a Patreon that includes exclusive content and early access to much of our regular content. You can access all of our content, including a link to our Patreon, from our central hub at a thousanddreams.org. Please send comments and questions about the curriculum to a thousanddreams.org at gmail.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. We are Yislike and Lance Rockadopolis, and we're back and ready to talk about cock and ball torture. Oh my. CBT for short. Indeed. Everyone loves their acronyms. So before we get started, I'm just going to first give you a reminder. Uh, this podcast is not about providing information about CBT technique or safety. Some of the types of kinky play that we're discussing today may be considered extreme, even by some people in the kink community. And in some types of CBT play, you need to be careful. But we don't talk about technique or safety in this podcast, and we're not going to do so in this episode. So if you feel inspired to try some of the stuff we talk about, be sure to educate yourself on how to be safe with what you're doing. And there are plenty of resources online for safety information. And if you live in a mid-sized city and you have a community that does provide kink education, see if you can find a CBT class. Also, I just want to provide another little aside about kink and culture and what part of the bigger picture is of what we're doing with this podcast. Certainly one important part of it is to provide exposure to to a very healthy femdom relationship that practices 24-7 TPE. But we do also, of course, bring a discussion of non-kinky cultural stuff into these episodes, cultural stuff that is reflected in different types of kinky play. The reason that we do this is that a big part of what makes something kinky for us and therefore compelling and exciting and erotic, is that it is transgressive of social rules and cultural norms. We realize this may not be true for every self-identified kinkster, but for us and for, for many others, without the existing dark cultural stuff, all of these kinks wouldn't be kinky. They would just be vanilla, vanilla sex. For example, to me, a blowjob isn't kinky it's just a sex act. I've given lots of blowjobs in my vanilla relationships and especially in my 20s. And um, 
it was really fun and exciting, but it would it didn't even come close to being really satisfying for me. But it sounds like you're bragging a little bit. You've given a lot of blowjobs. I have given a lot of blowjobs. Not and, to you. And you've taken pride in that. I took a like... lot of pride. I was very good at it. Uh, yeah. Because I figured out that what I needed to do is, is make my mouth like one of those Thai prostitute vaginas. You know, very mobile. Hmm. I was very proud of it, but I got tired of it. So <laughs> that's off track. So, um, but for me, face fucking is kinky because it's rough and it's rude and it's objectifying. And the objectification is, is a cultural thing. To objectify someone is to take away their sense of personhood, their human dignity. It's a profound form of humiliation. And outside of kink, throughout history, taking away a human's personhood status is justification for controlling and abusing that person. And I did talk about this on the male supremacy episode. And a lot of kinks are based in humiliation, like, for example, sissification and feminization. They wouldn't be a thing without the humiliation factor, without the the objectification factor. Consensual master-slave relationships are also pretty objectifying. I mean, at least just the use of the terms. That's part of what makes them sexy. But to be clear, I don't see anything inherently kinky about cross-dressing by itself. And I definitely don't see anything particularly kinky about transgenderism. But when sissification is about humiliation and dehumanization, I see it as kinky. Is it misogynistic? Maybe a little, because it does seem to reinforce harmful gender ideologies. But for me, you know, that's my kink is not your kink, and that's okay. I'm not worried about it. I just don't, I'm not going to do it. But anyway, back to blowjobs. Some people do see blowjobs as kinky, maybe because they were taught that missionary style PIV sex is the only acceptable form of sex, right? In which case, to have a blowjob or to give a blowjob would be very kinky, very transgressive. So what is kinky, even by our fairly strict definition, can very legitimately differ from person to person. But what makes us feel sad and disappointed sometimes um, and alienated from some sectors of the kink community is what seems to be a trend toward distancing the kinky activities from their non-kinky cultural origins. Effectively sanitizing the eroticism and therefore de-kinkifying the kinky practice. And sanitize is a word that some kinksters use to mean to remove, usually temporarily, all of the kinky or sexual paraphernalia out of different physical or social sectors of one's life. So for example, if you use your finished basement as a sex dungeon most of the time, when you have vanilla relatives visit, you might want to sanitize the basement by removing all of the kinky furniture and toys for the duration of their visit. But even like when we go to work or are hanging out with vanilla friends, many of us are careful not to reveal any of our kinkiness in casual conversation. But when kinksters start sanitizing kink itself, well, obviously, that's just counterproductive as far as we're concerned. And I think that there are a lot of factors in American culture today 
that are driving this wave of sanitization within the kink community. And we'll be talking about this issue in an upcoming episode. So first, we're going to talk about the cultural aspects of some different types of CBT play, right? What makes CBT play interesting is partly because of the cultural background of the non-kinky uses, non-playful uses of various aspects of male genital torture, which Mm -hmm. are not good, not anything that we would ever condone outside of consensual kinky play. And then we're going to talk about the play versions of those cultural torture practices. All right, so Lance is going to start off our conversation today talking about CBT in popular culture. It's curious that you had that that presentation um, about culture and CBT. I see it constantly in movies, television shows, Jackass had a lot of ball-busting scenes in it. And there was one scene in My Name is Earl where he's basically jerking off to a guy getting kicked in the balls. Wait, Earl is? Yeah. Or or he's <laughs> watching it, at least. Oh, okay. And I was wondering, why is it so funny? Because I do find it hysterical when, when I see that sort of stuff. It is. Why is it so funny? I found an, an article uh, in Men's Health, and they interviewed a Dr. Schuster. He said... When we're watching a crazy stunt that we expect could result in significant injury, there's an inherent buildup of tension. When the gag is over, part of our enjoyment is the relief we experience when our expectations for injuries are unmet. Interesting. People say that about horror movies, too. Hmm. People who laugh at horror movies or haunted houses. Another great ball-busting scene was in an action film, James Bond in Casino Royale, his antagonist is basically taking a big giant knotted rope and just bashing him in the balls repeatedly and of course it wouldn't be a complete podcast of ball busting without mentioning benny hill he's uh notorious at those kind of funny scenes where he's like get, getting whacked in the balls and then putting his hands on the top of his head making excruciating faces there are also serious Dramas like Game of Thrones and On the Doll, which is about a bunch of children who are sexually abused and are basically grow up as sex workers. So there's a definite serious side to that. But there was a scene in On the Doll that was kind of funny where this prostitute was um, torturing a guy's balls based on the number she rolled on a, on a dice. Hmm, that's an idea. Yeah, you particularly liked uh, Ramsey musing on phantom limbs. Yeah, I didn't like that. You didn't like that? <laughs> Eating that pork sausage? You, didn't you like liked that? it. <laughs> and some other people I knew liked it. I found it appalling. Mm-hmm. Well, because it wasn't his dick. He had cut off his dick. He had cut off the right. on's dick. And sent it to his father. Right. So I do enjoy ball busting quite a bit. And maybe part of why I enjoy that so much, I mean, there are a few reasons why I enjoy it, but part of it might be the cultural piece. I looked up some definitions of the term ball buster, and the first one was from Google. It is actually a term for anyone in a position of authority who uses aggressive tactics to get stuff done, like chefs, for example, of all genders are notorious ball busters. 
I know that from personal experience. So, so the first definition of it, at least from Google, is not gendered at all. But it's also defined by Google as a dominating or threatening woman who destroys a man's self-confidence, which is also fun, <laughs> which, is al- which is also a fun idea, but um, not something that I actually want to do. I don't want to destroy anyone's confidence. The Urban Dictionary has a couple of interesting ones as well. It's a woman, also affectionately called a bitch, who challenges the virility and dominance of a man by utilizing verbal abuse and or controlling social situations usually controlled by men. Second definition, a woman who is so bitchin' and intelligent that most men fear opening their mouths in her presence, much less making a sexual advance. (laughs) I'm laughing because... Both those definitions are appropriate to you because I love it when you do either of those two things to me. I don't actually think you love being verbally abused. Not verbally abused, but... Physically abused. No, sometimes you you dominate me like like the time that we talked about when we went kayaking. So now I'm going to talk about infibulation. So infibulation is when someone has their genitals sewn up in some way in order to prevent them from any kind of sexual use. And most discussions of infibulation that I found online have been about young girls having their labia sewn together after their clitoris has been cut off. Mm -hmm. But there have been some interesting examples of infibulation of the penis at different times in history, and it is used as a form of kinky play today, though I'm not sure how often it's actually used in male chastity in the kink community. So one historical example is from ancient Rome, where infibulation was used on slaves. The infibulator would suture the foreskin over the top of the penis so that it looks like a nice little purse that you could carry around. And um, and it did allow for masturbation, which I find to be confusing. Like, if it's mm. what is it supposed to prevent? Like, what is that exactly supposed to do if it's not... Yeah, it definitely makes things more messy if it were to be permanently sewn together. It wouldn't be right. able to wash out. Right. And if and if it could be washed out, it could go into a woman's vagina and make a baby. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not sure how that exactly worked. I did read a long piece about it by the ancient Roman author Marshall, who did talk. He actually talked about it needs to be done so that enough of the foreskin is loose. Um, so that would be for the masturbation purposes, right? Right. I've always associated infibulation with anti-masturbation. Hmm. So it's a form of chastity, even though it is painful and a form of cock and ball torture as well. Hmm. The ancient Greeks also practiced uh, a form of infibulation. Uh, what they would do was tie the penises th- with a string through that, underneath that suture, and then tie it to their leg, to the thighs, so that mm. it didn't dangle because it was unseemly, especially if the penis was too big. It was unseemly in ancient Greece to have a penis that was too big. Like only barbarians and animals had had big penises. Yeah, I can see how that would be done during like their Olympic uh, activities. You know, they're wrestling, they're running. You don't want a big dick flapping in the breeze right. <laughs> while you're running. Right, and they did all of those things naked, right? So that's something to take into consideration. 
It is interesting, though, that they also used sculptures of giant phalluses for road markers, right? The Herms. Hmm. So I just don't know (laughs) where they were coming from with the penis thing. Hmm. Might have had a little bit of cognitive dissonance. I don't know. They weren't that interested in in women's pleasure. Oh, I know. I bet it was because of the gayness. I bet it was because of the anal sex they were having, right? A big penis is... A big ah. penis is, is a problem for, for non-masochists, right? Mm-hmm. Because they certainly weren't that interested in pleasing women who would need a bigger penis. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it's, it's the motion of the ocean, not the size of the ship. But Lance is a bit of a size queen, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so now Lance is going to talk about medical instances of, of uh, cock and ball torture. Yeah, there's unfortunate instances where doctors were basically torturing people. And most recently, the New York Times reported that in Abu Ghraib, there was much evidence of abuse at the prison. And it came from medical documents. And it showed that doctors and medics reporting people were basically bruised and had reddened genitals. I'm not sure whether the doctors did did the torturing or whether the prison guards did that, but there seems to be evidence where that took place. Historically, also the Nazis used torture and basically trying to find out what the pain levels of humans were. They've also experimented with x-ray radiation to see if there was a way to mass sterilize people. Men received x-rays on their genitals and women on their abdomens in an attempt to invoke infertility. After the experiment was complete, they surgically removed the reproductive organs, often without anesthesia, for further lab analysis. Well, that's a bit of a buzzkill. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty intense. And so that pretty much concludes our brief discussion of cultural, non-kinky, versions of cock and ball torture. And so now Lance is just going to talk a little bit about the anatomy and the physiology of the cock and balls and, you know, why it hurts so much and a little bit about why it feels good sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I was curious to find out why they are so sensitive. Apparently, men's testicles develop in the abdomen and share the same n- nerves and tissues as all, all your insides, basically around your kidneys. And when you're born, the, the baby's testicles descend from the scrotum, pulling the nerves down with them. Um, so there's a definite connection to your testicles and your insides, which means when you get kicked in the balls or get hit in the balls, you have pain in the stomach. So Mm. there's that shared nerves and tissues that that, um, cause that sensation. That sensation can include dizziness and nausea and even sometimes vomit. And I was curious about that as well as like, why would that happen? There's actually a pretty strange evolutionary benefit to this this it basically the way this works is to keep your focus on keeping yourself alive so if you get hit in the balls there's an urge to like break away from whatever conflict you're in like if you were in a fight and and took 
a horn from a bowl into the groin, you'd say, okay, I've had enough, and you'll likely step away from that fight. Oh, interesting. So you would surrender because it feels so... So horrible. So horrible. So it's not the kick in the balls that would kill you. It would be like stabbed with a spear, but the Mm -hmm. kick in the balls tells you time to go. Yes, exactly. It puts puts in your brain, okay, I've had enough pain. Okay, so I was thinking something similar to that, that, which is just an idea that I had in my head, that that it was evolutionary in a similar way. I didn't tie it with warfare, mm-hmm. but with like, it hurts so bad because it's so important for reproduction, right? right. The people who can reproduce are going to be the people who are going to have more and more, like that's evolutionary theory, right. but it's actually tougher than we think. Like both of them can take a lot more mm-hmm. than the feeling of it right. would tell you. That said, just another reminder, do all of the safety just, training. Yeah, just <laughs> ask Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> right. I don't think he's been permanently injured. But again, like I can't, I have to say, just be careful with what you're doing. But it, I have to say that they take a lot. They take more than you'd expect from something that hurts that much. Right. And there's medical inf- or information or recommendations that if pain continues beyond the 15-minute mark or if there's any bleeding, you should definitely visit the ER yeah. or a urologist. And you never want to get to that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst case is, is that if your testicle is ruptured, you may have to have it surgically repaired within 24 hours or else you might need to have your testicle removed. So Lance, given how horrible all of that sounds, why do you beg me for CBT? Literally beg. Oh, come on. Do I really beg? Yeah. Well, maybe sometimes. Sometimes. I really don't like that form of pain it's so like i said before nauseating um but i do like the dominance and control that that pain symbolizes i have a weird issue with pain a weird weird relationship with pain sometimes i think it's hysterical and (laughs) supremely funny like in that james bond scene where he makes he's basically laughing and he makes fun of the torturers hitting him in the balls. He's, he's <laughs> calling it, uh, thank you for scratching my balls. <laughs> it's a way of coping with, with the, that high amount of pain. But you enjoy that coping strategy, apparently. I, I do. It's, it's sick and perverted, and I guess that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right. So on to our kinky play discussion. No more of the horrible, horrible cultural stuff. There are many different ways to torture cock and balls, and this episode is not going to give an exhaustive listing of them, but we are going to speak in some depth about the kinds that we practice on a somewhat regular basis, and also some kinds that we will probably never do. So we'll talk about the cocks first and then the balls. So impact play. Basically, any form of impact play can be used on the cock and balls as long as you know the right right amount of force to use. Uh, My favorite one is using my single tail as it is on on the rest of his body. And uh, when I'm really getting going and really warmed up, I can just hit the tip of his cock over and over and over again, which again, he likes but doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And I do save that for the end of an impact play session. 
Yeah, I mentioned previously that that single tail does definitely feels like a knife, and taking a knife to your tip of your penis is very <laughs> yeah. ridiculously painful. But it isn't a knife, and I've never actually been able to get blood to come out. Right. And I would certainly not, because I wouldn't be able to get blood to come out because it would require more force than th- that I would have to use mm-hmm. in order to be precise. And I c- certainly cannot use that amount, amount of force to be as precise as just hitting the, the tip of your cock. Do you think you're as precise with the belt as with the single tail? Because if we're talking about cock specific, sometimes um, you hit me on the balls when... Are you it, complaining? No, no I'm not complaining. That? I'm just wondering if you're going for that exactly, like, can you control the belt to the degree that you do with the single tail? Whether or not I hit a specific place on your cock with the belt is not something I've ever thought about or cared about or tried to do. (laughs) Okay. What, what does happen, what does happen with the, um, with the belt is that it gives bruises and the first time I saw that bruise, it was scary, and then it went away like 10 minutes later, mm-hmm. just saying. But but as you've said, the cock is a very vascular area that can heal fairly quickly, as long as you know what you're doing. What else have I used to torture your cock? I slap your cock mm-hmm. around quite a bit. That's fun. I flogged it, right? right? These are all just fun things to do to a cock. Oh, You've actually placed those nipple clamps on the, <laughs> on the head of my penis. That is something I cannot take. It's just too much. Yeah, I remember doing that as soon as I saw that those nipple clamps existed. Mm-hmm. And also inserting it, just very, very little tiny bit of it into your urethra. Do you yeah, remember that? I distinctly remember that. I don't think I can forget that. So this concludes the first part of our episode on CBT. Please join us next time for the second part. And in the meantime, check out our social media, including Instagram, Facebook, FetLife, and Twitter, and also our Patreon at patreon.com slash yeslike, and have a great week. Thank you.